My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100 or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's worship the Lord. Let's praise Him. His presence fills the house today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. What a great joy to be in Pensacola again at First Pentecostal Church. We always look forward to the opportunity to come and spend some time with you at this particular time of the year. And we're never disappointed by power and presence of God and the worship that brings that presence into the house. We're thankful for this great church, leading church in the Pentecostal movement, particularly in the United Pentecostal Church. We're thankful for what you've stood for and what you've accomplished through the years. We honor the heritage of this church, the Welches, their memory. We thank God for that great family. And, of course, our good friends, Brother and Sister Kinsey and their family. Wow, what, what a wonderful blessing it is to have folks of this caliber leading this great church. Amen. Amen. And, of course, I can't say how much it means to me to have my family or a big chunk of it here with us today, my beautiful wife my intelligent grandson. I really don't know what Sister Jones and I did to get the world's greatest grandson, but it's just a fact. It's the way it happened. So always happy to have him with us. And, and of course, it's always wonderful when my wife can travel and be with me. Since we're retired now, ha-ha, she was able to make the trip, and we're thankful. I'd like to turn this morning to the book of Acts, the 11th chapter. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. This is the 20th verse. Which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things, this great revival that broke out in Antioch, one of the most significant revivals in the history of the church, that came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth. Now this, this was a remarkable revival, a significant revival. Antioch would become one of the four great world centers of Christianity for well over a hundred years. And they sent Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. 
for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. And then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. I want to preach a little bit today. I won't preach long, but I want to preach a little bit about how to be a good person. How to be a good person. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word, its power and truth. Thank you for its effectiveness, even in our day, to every heart and every life, that you speak to where we are and what we're going through. Touch us by the power of that word and the anointing of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. Good person. How to be a good person. Everybody wants to be a good person. Even bad people want to be a good person. The James gang, the Dalton gang, Bonnie and Clyde, Don, uh, 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 John Dillinger. If you ask them, they would tell you that their murders and their thievery, the depredations they committed all over our country were justified. They were good people. They just got mistreated. And so they were leveling the score. Everybody wants to be a good person. But the problem is, it's the hardest thing in the world. In fact, we all fail at it. Paul dealt with it in the book of Romans. He describes what it's like to be a person in this world. He said, I see a higher path. But how to walk on that path, I can't find the way. He said, the good that I would do, I do not. The things that I hate, that's what I do. And the things that I love, I'm unable to reach that path. And so it's a seeking of being a good person that is the hunger of every heart. And not just good in the eyes of the world as we see our culture collapse and our society lose its way. We don't dare take the standards of the world. We know there's a higher path. And we want to be truly good. Not good in the eyes of the world, but good in the eyes of God. How can we walk that path? Is it possible to rise above the ruin and wreckage of our lives and find our feet on that high place? Is it possible to be a good person? Well, it must be a little difficult because outside the Lord himself, the New Testament only calls two people good. There's only two men that are called good men in the entire New Testament. And both of them are called that by Luke. One in the book of Luke and the other in the book of Acts. Now the first one, and, and let me add this. If, if you like irony, both of them were named Joseph. So if you're Joe here today, you've got a great chance. Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible says, was a good man. What made Joseph good? He was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. 
But when the discussion arose about executing Jesus Christ, it was Joseph that stood against that argument, that spoke up for the Lord and said, this is not the path we should go down. If this is of God, you better leave it alone. Joseph was a good man. And when he failed to save the Lord's life and they had the Romans nail him to a cross, it was Joseph that went and asked for Jesus' body and buried the master in his own family burial tomb. And so it was in that family plot of the good man Joseph that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Joseph was a good man. The other good man, I read a little bit about him to you. His name was Joseph of Cyprus. We know him better, of course, by the nickname that the apostles gave him, Barnabas. Barnabas is one of those Bible characters that if you don't dig deep into his life, they seem to play a very minor role. And they seem to be less important than other characters in the Bible. But the more you learn about them, the more impressed you are with them. And realize their role was much more significant than any of us first realized. Because Barnabas' ministry was in the shadow of the giant called Paul. We don't always see what role he played. But those who saw his ministry up close, they didn't see him as in the shadow of Paul at all. Barnabas, you see, was chosen by the church to go to the most significant revival that had happened outside of Jerusalem at that time. They could not know how important the Antiochian revival would become to the church. It would be a center of what God was doing in that world. And there the disciples would first be called Christians because of the great revival that broke out among the Gentiles there. And when the church at Jerusalem heard what was going on, they didn't send any of the 12 apostles. They didn't send any of their great anointed preachers that maybe we know about. But they sent Barnabas. They said, go up there and pastor that church and teach those saints and ground them in the faith. And we find Barnabas going to Antioch and pastoring that first great Gentile church. After a while, after his preaching and organizing and teaching, Barnabas caught a little break. And the Bible says that he went and there he brought Paul or Saul to that church. And it wasn't long afterward that the Bible says the Holy Ghost moved on the elders of that church and separate for the work I have for them, not Saul and Barnabas, but Barnabas and Saul. Send them forward. Isn't it amazing? We call it Paul's first missionary journey but God called it Barnabas's first missionary journey 
when they got to a heathen city called Lystra and God gave them many miracles and much success in their preaching, the, the, the heathen folks there not understanding what was going on, they decided that Barnabas and Paul were gods. And look at what they named them. They called Barnabas Jupiter or Zeus. And they called Paul Mercury. Now think about that. Jupiter was the boss god. He was the king of the gods. He was the father of the gods. Mercury was just his spokesman. So when they saw those two men's ministries, they saw Barnabas in charge and Paul the follower. Oh, he was an incredible man. We know that he was an incredible leader, a pastor, a preacher. He was an organizer. He was a missionary, deserving of great honor. He fades from the pages of the scripture. We're not sure why, because he was one of the great leaders of the early church. But what made him known in the word of God as a good man? Why was he a good man? If we could figure out why Barnabas was good, we might can figure out how we can be good. First of all, Barnabas was a good man because he gave. You didn't think I was going to preach on that, did you? He gave. When there was need in the church to care for those in trouble, to publish the gospel, send it out to the four corners of the earth that Jesus had commanded, it was Barnabas who stepped forth first and took what he had and put it in the hands of the apostles. It's sad to me that that great burst forth of giving and generosity was sullied by the lies and hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. But hear me, it was Barnabas that led the way, that showed what it took to be a good person. You can't sit on what you have and refuse to support the kingdom and be a good person you can't spend it all on yourself and your loved ones and not care about others who are struggling in the darkness of sin and fulfill your calling you have to get your checkbook out you have to open your wallet and your heart and you have to give what I like about Barnabas he gave first before anybody else gave, he gave. We went through a thing in Pentecost. I thought it was pretty cool where folks would get up during the preaching pastor and they would come and lay money on the altar. I always worried a little bit about it when I gave the altar call <laughs> with all that money laying out there. Somebody might backslide right during the altar service. But I thought it was cool. I thought it was incredible. It was as if they worshipped by giving. It looked so wonderful when someone would suddenly stand during the preaching and tears would be rolling down their face and they would walk alone to the front of the church and put a 
10 or a 20 or more or less and lay it on the altar and stand there with the hands in the air, suddenly it began to dawn on me. Giving is as much a part of being a child of God as dancing or shouting or tongue talking or anything else. Even while he pastored in Antioch, which could not have been as strong a church as the church in Jerusalem, and famine broke out in the mother church at Jerusalem, and the saints were suffering, it was Barnabas who collected an offering in Antioch, and he and Pastor Paul took that offering down to Jerusalem and gave it to their brothers and sisters from the Gentile church in Antioch. We've got to look beyond our own walls. We've got to look at a world that's hungry and hurting and helpless and hopeless. Stingy, selfish people are celebrated and called successful in our world. And at some carnal level, they may be successful, but they are not good people the second like most generous people Barnabas was an encourager that's what Barnabas means son of consolation consolation is comfort when things go wrong it is the comforter it is the person who cares that comes and says it's going to be all right it's going to work out Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. And God's going to bless you. And that was Barnabas' genius. It was so much a part of his nature that no less than the apostles themselves began to call Joseph Barnabas, the son of comfort, the encourager. You know, when, when you're an encourager, that tells me you're an optimistic person. I don't know. I I, I know it's true, but I can't really explain how it's true. That bad news travels quicker than good news. Anybody ever notice that? One fellow said a bad report can go around the world before a good report gets its shoes on. I don't know why that is, but it is true. And I can only guess that the reason that's true is people like telling failure and heartbreak and sadness and disappointment more than they like telling about victory and triumph and faithfulness and encouragement. But good people. They don't listen for the latest gossip so they can spread it and tear people down and cause people pain. No, that's not their way. That's not their life. They're looking for a victory. They're looking for a reason to go on. They're looking for somebody who overcame, somebody who made it through, somebody that saw God at work in their life. And just like others can't wait to get on the phone and tell the gossip, They can't wait to get on the phone and say, we're having revival in Pensacola. God is doing great things at our church. 
Thirdly, and it goes hand in hand, Barnabas tended to believe the best about people. Now, now this is kind of, this is, this really blows me away when I think of it. Did you know that after Paul, this world-changing apostle to the Gentiles, that Paul, who would write almost half the New Testament, Paul, who would literally, literally, jointly found the Christian church with the Lord himself. Paul, after having met Jesus on the road to Damascus, after having spent two years in the deserts of Arabia seeking the will and the word of God, that Paul had gone home to Tarshish, and there he had labored in obscurity for a decade. For 10 years, no one had heard of him. For 10 years, he wrote no books. He made no difference in the world as a apostle and as a missionary for 10 years. And he might have spent his life there. But Barnabas remembered that guy that everybody was afraid of, that nobody believed in, that everybody said, you better keep your eye on him. I'm not sure he's for real, a troublemaker, someone who would say what he thought, that other people just didn't want to be around. And Barnabas was having a great revival in Antioch. He was pastoring a growing church, and he remembered that preacher, and he said, I'm going to go get Paul to come help me in Antioch and he went to Tarshish and he dug him out and he brought him home and there Paul began to change our world. It's time to quit looking each other with eyes of suspicion. It's time to quit looking for the failure that's in all of us. It is time to believe in one another that we matter that we make a difference, that we can change Pensacola and the whole world. Oh, I remember when he did this. I remember when she said that. We got to forget all of that. There's potential in every saint of God, and we must find it and build upon it. The reason Paul and, 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 and Barnabas separated, the reason there was only one missionary journey that they went on together is because of a young preacher whose name was Mark. He was Barnabas' nephew. Barnabas believed in him. He went on the journey. He was just a kid, probably a teenager, maybe as young as 14 or 15. But in the midst of the hard travel and the difficult situations and the, and the substandard uh, living conditions and the dangers of the highways, because of all of that, at some point in that trip, Mark said, I miss mom. I, I miss my home. I want to go back. And it burnt Paul up. I guess he forgot that 10 years in Tarsus. 
And when they were planning the second missionary journey and Barnabas put Mark's name on the list of preachers to go, Paul scratched it out. I don't want that kid to go. He's going to turn around in the middle when things get tough and he's going to go back. Barnabas said, no, 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 he's older now. He, he, he's, got, he's got his feet under him. He'll, no, I'm not going to let him go. And they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and kept on preaching. It came a day where Paul is writing and he mentions a young preacher. He said, Mark, he's valuable to me. He matters to me. I wish he'd have said Barnabas was right. And I was wrong. Maybe he was. You gotta believe in people. You gotta forgive people. You gotta look over their weaknesses. If you wanna be a good person. Now, I don't have time to develop this next point, but let me mention very quickly he saw the value in unity. He was willing to go the extra mile to maintain unity. That people get along. We see this in the issue of table fellowship. To the Jewish people, sitting down to dinner was a big deal. It was a spiritual thing. It wasn't just eating. It was, it was, a, it was a, a blessing on all who sat at your table. Therefore, Gentiles were not welcome at their tables. Because it wasn't just dinner. It was worship. It was spiritual. And when the church, when God forced them to open the door to the Gentiles, there were good saints that had trouble with that. They didn't mind being in the church and they would even worship with them. But when it was time to sit at table, they wanted them segregated. They wanted the Jews at one table and Gentiles at another. Paul, that just burned him to the core. But Peter and Barnabas were in favor of that. Now, we condemn them for that. And Paul was pretty adamant even years later when he said, I withstood Simon Peter to, the, to his face because he was wrong and they were wrong. But why did they do that? Because of their weaker brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That those weaker Jews who hadn't yet caught a hold of the vision, but they were good people, they loved God. They did not want to destroy. See, table fellowship meant nothing to the Gentiles. It was just eating. It was the Jews that were offended. And so Barnabas thought, let's work with them. Let's don't drive them out. Let's don't destroy the unity of the church. Let's give them a little time. Maybe they don't look like they ought to look. Maybe they don't act like they ought to act. Maybe they hadn't had the Holy Ghost very long. Let's don't destroy them. Let's give them time. Let's work with them. Paul would come to agree because in the book of Romans he writes about eating meat that has been offered to idols he said it's not a sin but if it offends my brother I won't eat that meat as long as the world stands getting along being together matters it's important it's worth 
sacrificing. Let the strong bear the infirmities of the weak. This was Barnabas's hunger. And it made him a good man. But finally, Barnabas was a good man because he was full of the Holy Ghost. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you don't have a chance of being a good man or a good woman. It is not in us to even order our own steps. We don't have the power. Paul said, I lacked something inside of me. I could see a better life and I longed for a better life. I wanted to be a good neighbor. I wanted to be a good friend. I wanted to be a good child of God, but I didn't. How to do that which was good, I knew not. But Barnabas was good because Barnabas was full of the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Spirit today, if you've never been filled with that presence of God, evidenced by speaking in other tongues and a change in life, the things that you once hated, now you love. The things you once loved, now you hate. But more than that, not only are you forgiven from yesterday's sins, you are empowered to choose that higher path, to walk on that higher road. You have an opportunity to rise above the weakness of the flesh and become a good person through the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I've got to go away because if I go not away, the comforter cannot come. But when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. It's the Holy Ghost that makes us what we are. We were all as sheep that had gone astray. There was none righteous, no, not one. But he cleansed us, and he filled us, and he changed us by the power the Holy Ghost stand with me would you and not just the Holy Spirit but he was full of faith that's where the optimism came from that's where believing the good in people came from that's where the generosity came from because he could give knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you give, God will give back to you. That's where his willingness to be led of God, to obey his elders, to follow in the paths of righteousness came from. Because he knew God was in control. Maybe 2019 was not your year. Maybe it was marked by tears and pain loss and suffering maybe you today are still reeling from some of the things that came to you or your family in 2019 don't lose your faith God's not done yet don't give in yet mm -mm, not yet 
God's still at work in your life. And he that hath begun a good work in you will continue. And I'm convinced that that which I have put in his hands, he's able to keep it against that day. He never lost his enthusiasm because he never lost his faith. He never lost his devotion because he never lost his faith. He stayed full of the Spirit and he stayed full of faith. And though he faded from the pages of the New Testament, we are yet to know and one day we shall the great accomplishments of this good man. 2020 desperately needs good men and women. A new year beginning. There'll be resolutions galore. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have a better relationship with my family, my friends. I'm going to be better husband, father, mother, wife, grandparent, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to be good at it. But we were here last year, weren't we? We said we were going to do better then, too. Why don't we make it count this year? Why don't we get filled or refilled? Here on the last Sunday of 2019, why don't we get ready for the first Sunday of 2020 by getting filled or refilled with the Holy Ghost? By getting our faith reestablished by having a supernatural encounter with God all over again that changes us genuinely by becoming a good man, a good woman, a good young person, by fulfilling the call of God in each of our lives. So if you're here today and you really want to be a good person, you really want to fulfill the potential that God put down in your heart. You want to make a difference in this world. Change it through the power of the Spirit of God. I invite you to come. If you don't know the Lord, come know Him. If you haven't received His Spirit, come receive it today. If you do know Him and you have the Holy Ghost, let's come and renew that move of God in our own lives and hearts. And let's believe that God can make us better and better and better. Everyone that will, would you come? Everyone that feels a tug on your heartstrings, would you come? Everyone that hungers to be better, to rise higher, to walk a, a better path, to be a good man or a good woman. Let's come and talk to Jesus. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. In Jesus' name. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close.
We hope you enjoyed this message. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.